Other than the Lord Jesus, Joseph is by far my favorite character in the whole Bible. Because his story involves a great drama. We're going to go through the whole thing in about 13 weeks. Most of the summer we're going to spend with this man named Joseph. I got to thinking one of the reasons I like Joseph is uh, the same reason I like Forrest Gump. And that's just a guy... Uh, that everybody hates and yet who seems to prosper no matter what kind of hard luck he has. And the, the reason I think that he prospers, uh, Forrest Gump was like this to one degree or another. He kind of fudged at the end. But uh, with Joseph is that the morality, just the simple morality in an ungodly age of just doing things right took him a long way. And uh, that's, a, that's a bit of encouragement. Well, let's meet this man. And Genesis chapter 37 is really where his life as a story begins. We meet him here as a 17-year-old man or young man. First 16 years of his life aren't really recorded in detail. But from 17 on, we get a lot of detail on his life. Far from... Greenbow, Alabama, <laughs> Joseph grew up in Canaan, where his father, Jacob, who was the grandson, incidentally, of Abraham, Joseph being the great-grandson of Abraham. Remember, we studied Abraham last fall. So here in Genesis, we're a few chapters beyond where we were in Abraham, and uh, a couple of generations beyond that. But the same family, just a few generations beyond that. Father... Joseph's father, Jacob, many of you may know, was also renamed Israel, where we get the name Israel from Joseph's father, Jacob, or Israel. And so as we pick up the story, as we begin the story in verse 1, it's not a pleasant scene because there is a, already a family feud brewing that has been fueled by favoritism that the father has shown. I wonder how many more F's I could work in there. <laughs> Father's favoritism fueled a family feud. <laughs> so let's look, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Uh, how about chapter 37? We're not there yet. Jacob, Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. Well, Brian's back there going, what verse is he on? <laughs> okay, verse 2. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel, that's, Joseph, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a very colored tunic. And his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. So this is where we pick up, where we start the life of this young man named Joseph, 17-year-old young man, and immediately we're told right out of the chute that his brothers hate him. And they hate him for one reason, because... It's mentioned that he brought back a bad report. He's looked at by the others as a kind of a tattletale. 
The thing is, though, he's honest. And so, obviously, his father has put him in charge of bringing the report back, even though he is the second to the youngest of these 12 brothers. Another reason that we're told plain out that the brothers don't like him, in fact, hate him, is because he was daddy's favorite. And they were jealous of him. They were envious of him. And the father, Jacob, even went so far as to make, let's mention here, a very colored coat or tunic. We've heard it called the coat of many colors. What it really was was a, a tunic that was a full length. It, it, it showed who was the heir. Joseph was the firstborn of the second wife. The firstborn of the first wife had fouled up, and so he didn't get the inheritance. But Joseph is the firstborn of the second wife, and he's the one that Jacob designates as the heir. And he's young, and the other brothers despise this, and they're jealous of him, jealous of the favoritism. Jacob should have known better than this. I mean, he grew up in a family that had favoritism. You remember, if you've read in the life of Jacob, he grew up, his brother Esau, they had odds with one another over favoritism. Their father, Isaac, preferred Esau over Jacob. And the favoritism in that family led to Jacob eventually having to flee for his life and never seeing his mother again. And the favoritism that now Jacob does in his family now, we're going to see uh, not only the favoritism separate jo Jacob from his mother, but it also separated Jacob now from Joseph. We're going to see how slow we are to learn from our past. You know, no, but no no parent is perfect. Uh, Jacob wasn't a perfect parent. Uh, my parents weren't perfect. I'm not a perfect parent. Uh, I know that your parents weren't perfect and you as a parent aren't perfect either. We're all sinners. We all sin. And, but to whatever degree, whether you had a, a great parent or a lousy one, that doesn't matter before God you will stand alone. You won't stand there with your parents. You won't be able to say, but my mother or my father taught me this. Well, that's fine. But you're going to stand before God uh, and you can't slough stuff off on your parents. You're responsible for your own morality. And we see in the life of these brothers that they had the same father, but yet they had different attitudes. The 11 brothers were faithless. Joseph, on the other hand, chose to be faithful. And his father put him in charge to bring back the report. And he was the favored son, and his brothers didn't like him. Well, the heat gets turned up now in verse 5, as Joseph has this famous dream. Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, Please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and also stood erect, and behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us? Are you going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now he had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I've had still another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. And he related to his father and to his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you've had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come and bow ourselves down before you to the ground? And his brothers were jealous of him. 
but his father kept the saying in mind. Now you've got to remember, here, this is Genesis. The Bible was not written yet at this time. The Bible didn't begin to be written until Exodus. So we're reading about a time when the Bible was not written. And so for God to reveal himself to his people, he often did it in dreams. If we were to read earlier in Genesis, we'd see that God did that with Abraham. Remember in the life of Abraham, we saw that. Uh, a king named Abimelech, he did that too. He did it to Jacob, Joseph's father. Uh, he did it to Laban, uh, an uncle. And he also did it to Joseph. So dreams are a common way, were a common way, back before we had the scriptures for the Lord to speak to us, for God to reveal himself. And so the reason I'm saying that is this dream that Joseph had is not just the wishful thinkings of a little spoiled kid. The dream is a revelation from God of the future. That Joseph, some point in the future, is going to rule over his brothers. And this irritated. The first dream made his brothers hate him even more. The second dream, including the father, brought a rebuke from the father. And so there's this rift now between the, the brothers and between, the, uh, between Joseph. Human nature is pretty ugly here. We all have a problem with authority. I don't know that I've ever met anybody that uh, likes to be under somebody else, especially when we're talking the issue of brothers and sisters. Sibling rivalries always been a problem. You get sinners living together and it's just the way it happens. It happens when the authority of the husband and the wife, the bickering there over the authority issue it happens with the children, especially here in Israel where the firstborn had priority. The uh, temptation to be arrogant in that priority was great. The temptation to be envious of that priority if you didn't have it was great. Uh, and so we often buck against the authority that God has put over us, whether it be a president, whether it be a, a pastor, whether it be a husband, whether it be a government official or whatever. Whatever authority God has placed over us, we tend to not like it. Always be critical and find something wrong. I remember in the early days of our ministry, there was a volunteer who worked with me and uh, I was, well, I'll just say that much. And we started kind of button heads over some issues and that were really not issues. And finally, I, you know, I, I talked to him and I said, look, man, what's the problem? Why are we having such a problem here? And to his credit, he was honest and he says, you know, well, to be honest with you, I'm struggling with jealousy. I couldn't believe he said that. And I got to thinking, what am I doing? Am I doing something? You know, am I coming across in an arrogant way where this guy is jealous? And I see in Joseph kind of a young naivete, you might say, of where he lacked tact in telling these dreams to his brothers. I mean, he knew his brothers didn't like him because of the coat. You know, maybe because he didn't want to say no to his daddy, he wore the coat. But to tell the dream, and they hated him even more, and then the second dream, he didn't keep it to himself. He shared it again, and his brothers hated him even more. Brought a rebuke from his dad. Uh, I just see it not as necessarily a fault of Joseph, but just being young and naive. Being excited about something that God has shown him, and, uh, but not having a lot of tact or thinking about it. 
And in his naivete, he causes his brothers to hate him all the more. And so there's dissension between Joseph, who is faithful, and his brothers, who are not. Between Joseph, who was favored, and his brothers, who were not. First of all, the text is going to emphasize how faithful Joseph was. And that's what happens now, starting in verse 12. It says, Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said to him, I will go. Then he said to him, Go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock, and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and came to Shechem. And a man found him. Behold, he was wandering in the field. The man asked him, What are you looking for? And he said, I'm looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they are pasturing the flock. The man said, They have moved from here. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. You've got to admire Joseph because he knew his brothers didn't like him. In fact, the text specifically told us that the brothers couldn't even talk to him in a kind way. Every time the brothers talked to Joseph, they were unkind. So Joseph knew full well what would happen when his father said, go see how the brothers are doing. He knew that his brothers were going to give him a problem. They always did. They're going to make fun of his coat. They're probably going to cuss him. They're probably going to bully him like they always had. And yet, what was Joseph's response? He didn't whine. He didn't say, uh, send somebody else. He said, I will go. That's all he said. And he was faithful to go. And not only that, when he couldn't find them, the brothers weren't where they were supposed to be, and they hadn't sent word on in order to be accountable to where they were moving to. Uh, a lot of us would have said, well, I looked, but I didn't find them, to avoid a conflict. We will go out of our way to avoid conflict if we know it's going to happen. You know, you'll avoid mentioning a subject that you know it's going to cause conflict. And yet Joseph, knowing that there would be conflict, was not only faithful to go, but was faithful to keep looking until he found them, knowing that there'd be conflict when he found them. That is faithfulness. To do what is required of you, even when you know it'll be hard. But now, by contrast, we look at the faithlessness of Joseph's brothers, starting in verse 18. When they saw him from a distance and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. And they said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Now then, come, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits, and we will say, A wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dream. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, Let's not take his life. Reuben further said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit that's in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him, that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him, and they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. Then they sat down to eat a meal. They sat down to eat a meal. The old Puritan Thomas Fuller asked, Do you think they said grace before this? And if they did, what were they thankful for? And after having done this deed, how could they sit down and just so casually eat? They planned to kill their brother. They had let their hatred of their younger brother get so bad that they wanted to kill him. 
Fortunately, Reuben, though, was there and uh, intervened, probably because he was the oldest. He felt a little responsible. And he said, no, let's don't kill him. Uh, let's just throw him in the pit. And Reuben's idea was to bring him, to take him back to the dad. He didn't want him to be separated from the father because he knew this was the father's favorite son. So even It's kind of interesting. Even though Reuben had trouble with Joseph like the other brothers, he wasn't willing to go that far and, and take his life. These brothers had learned well from their daddy how to deceive. Their, their father, Jacob, had dished out his share of deception in his life, deceived his father. And now the brothers were going to deceive the deceiver. They had learned well that what you do when you get into a sticky situation is you take matters into your own hands and then lie about it. That's what Jacob had done. Now that's what Jacob's sons had planned to do. They planned to say, planned to kill him, and they planned to say, well, an evil beast, uh, uh, an evil beast has devoured him. And literally, that's, that's what the text says. Uh, it's translated here, a wild beast, I think. But uh, the word is evil, an evil beast. And to me, that's ironic because then they sat down to eat. They said, well, we're going to lie and say that, that an evil beast ate him. And who is it that sits down to eat after the, the deed is done? In other words, Moses, the author, is telling us, who's the evil beast here? It's the brothers. They're the ones that devoured him. They're the ones that caused this calamity. Now in verse 25, the tables turn. I sat down to eat a meal, and as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. The other night when the hailstorm hit, uh, I had never, and I've lived in Denton since 85, I have never seen a hailstorm like that in the whole time that I've lived here. I mean, it's hailed some, but never like that. I mean, we had like golf ball hail coming down and and so our family kind of sat on our porch, the covered part, and watched it out in the front yard. It was kind of neat. And uh, all of a sudden, one uh, of the little golf ball, little golf ball, I mean, how do you say little golf ball, full of hail, fell from the sky, and the first thing it hit was my little toe. I was standing out there barefoot. <laughs> now think about this. You know, dropped from a hundred feet, a golf ball hitting your toe would hurt. We're talking it dropped from God. <laughs> and the first thing it hit was my little toe. Now, I could have taken that personally. Okay? I could have. I said, God, of all the people in Denton, you let it hit my toe. Do I not try to live faithfully for you? You know, why you hit my toe? Why don't you hit my neighbor across the street? Well, if justice were, were just, 
a bowling ball would have landed on my head. <laughs> I mean, start talking about what's just. But uh, the point being is Jesus said that the rain's going to fall on the just and the unjust. Even though I'm a Christian, you know, the hail still hit my house too. Still landed on my little toe. Straight from God. Straight from the skies. You look at the life of Joseph and you quickly see that faithfulness doesn't always get you a promotion. Joseph was faithful. He was the most faithful of all these 12 brothers. And what did it get him? It got him thrown into the pit. What's the first thing the brothers did when they came up, when Joseph came up? Stripped him of the tunic. Stripped him of that which uh, differentiated him from them. And now the playing field's level. Now you look just like me, brother. And now, what did the brothers do? They threw him down into the pit. And now they are higher than him. Their effort was to try to be over him, not him over them. And they decide they were going to lie to their father and, and sin. Faithfulness doesn't always get you promotions. And if you think that living a moral life, or maybe I should say, if your reason for living a moral life is so God will send the multicolored coats your way, you may have a rude awakening one morning as that blessing that you think came because of your faithfulness is stripped away from you and you're hurled into a pit. Because the rain falls on the just and the unjust, God does not always directly one for one bless you for your faithfulness. Now I believe he does. But you've also got to come to grips with the fact that what about all the evil in my life? Like I said, the real issue is why are there any blessings at all to me? Because I'm a sinner. The question is not why do I have problems in my life? Because I'm so righteous. Rather, why do I have anything good at all? Because I'm a sinner. So for Joseph, faithfulness didn't get him a promotion. Now evidently, Reuben, remember the brother who had desired to deliver Joseph from them, didn't want him to be killed? Reuben obviously left during the meal. Because now he comes back in verse 29 and discovers that Joseph's gone from the pit. It says, Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit. So he tore his garments, a sign of mourning. And he returned to his brothers and said, The boy is not there. As for me, where am I to go? So they took Joseph's tunic and slaughtered a male goat and dipped the tunic in the blood. And they sent the very colored tunic and brought it to their father and said, We found this. Please examine it to see whether it is your son's tunic or not. Not our brother, but your son. Then he examined it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. So Jacob tore his clothes and put, on sackcloth, put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, Surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. Remember, Reuben is the one that wanted to return Joseph to his father. Reuben wanted to do a good thing. He was not willing to go so far as to kill him. But notice he was willing to go far enough to go along with his lie in order to save his skin. And he says, what, what's going to happen to me now? He felt some responsibility before his daddy. And so they came up with this plan 
to deceive their father, ironically, in a very similar way that Jacob had deceived his father. Jacob killed a goat and put the skins on his arm to deceive his father Isaac. They killed a goat and put the blood on a garment to deceive their father Jacob. But Reuben wanted to do what was right initially. He wanted to do a good thing. Now, think about it. Was it not a good thing? And think about your life. When you want to do good things, and you pray, Lord, I want to do this good thing. Isn't, is this not your will for Joseph to be returned to the Father? Surely it's not your will for him to be killed or murdered. Surely it's not your will, as you find out, for him to be sold. Reuben wanted to return him. And so I wonder if Reuben had a conversation with God. And Lord, I wanted to do what was right. I was the only one out of this group that wanted to do what was right. Why didn't you answer my prayers? The thing that's funny is, it was in God's mind all along to return Joseph to the father. We're going to see that as the story goes on. But what Reuben didn't understand, is what you and I don't often understand, is it wasn't going to happen Reuben's way. Reuben wanted to do a certain way to save his skin. We want to do our good thing for God in a certain way, probably, if you get right down to it, for us. But God's going to do it in such a way that Reuben doesn't get the glory, that God gets the glory, and it's done in such a way that, uh, that the good that's done is, is a good that's far greater than the good that would have happened if it had happened Reuben's way. So when God apparently slams the door on a very good thing that you want to do, that doesn't mean that God didn't want you to do it. It may mean that it's going to happen his time and his way not your time, your way, so that he gets the glory and there's a greater good that comes from it than it, if it would have happened your way. We called the title of our message today When Dreams Turn to Nightmares. And since our church is on Elm Street, I thought about calling it Nightmare on Elm Street because we live here. We live in this text where Joseph is. And I, th I think there are several things other than things I've mentioned prior to this that we can apply the first is that deceiving others and yourself about your sin only results in inconsolable grief. Think about this. Deceiving others and yourself about your sin only results in inconsolable grief. I mean, the grief doesn't go away. Jacob said he refused to be comforted. He says, surely I'll go down to Sheol. In other words, he's saying, I plan to die a sad man. I plan to never get over this. I hurt so bad. And, he, and it says, his father wept for him. The story of Joseph and his brothers is a story of Cain and Abel all over again. Because for all practical purposes, his brother, the brothers did get rid of this brother who was the problem. And they even convinced the dad that he was dead. But in order to conceal their sin, what did they have to do? what you and I have to do when we conceal our sin. We have to lie. One sin propagates another if it's not confessed. Ella Cabot wrote this, The lie is but an artificial attempt to prop up an upside-down pyramid, which becomes more top-heavy with every lie. While truth, like a pyramid broadly based on reality, cannot be overturned. 
The brothers were going to learn a hard way that deceiving others and yourself about your sin only results in inconsolable grief. They learned it very quickly regarding the inconsolable grief of their father. They saw it. The dad, they wanted to try to comfort him. The dad said, I will not be comforted. And then they had the gall. I think this is so funny. They had the gall to try to console their dad for something that they had done. They blamed it on this beast. And this was a risky thing because remember Reuben wasn't for it. Reuben could have spilled the beans. One of the other brothers could have spilled the beans. Now, none of the brothers could trust one another as the years went on. There was always a constant mistrust. And what they had initially planned to benefit them only resulted in their father's grief and their guilt and an absolution that would not, would not come. I can't imagine doing this to somebody, what they did to their father. I mean, I can imagine it, but I can't imagine it doing it for long. My conscience would eat at me. Uh, whenever Kathy and I uh, have a problem with each other, you know, maybe go a day or two. But I just, I can't live if we aren't in harmony. It just eats at me. So I, I know, I can't, I can't understand how they would be so cruel to do this to their father. To bring this needless pain on this old man that was really a result of their selfishness. Think about it. Why did they do it? Why did they lie about their sin? Because they were selfish. They did not want to own up to it. They say, well, that's cruel. Yes, that's cruel. But my friends, that is you and me. We do the same thing. We did it a hundred and plus years ago with the slaves. It's just taking advantage of those who cannot defend themselves. Those who are, for whatever reason, weaker so that we can uh, profit from it. Our selfishness, in some sense, can take advantage of the defenseless. We do the same thing today in our nation with the unborn. The defenseless to satisfy our selfishness. Do the same thing with the born, with children. A lot of times in families, families will split because of the selfishness of one or the other. And the defenseless are left to deal with the inconsolable grief. We'll do it when we slander somebody else who's not around to defend themselves, to save our face. This is what we do. This is human nature. Just what the brothers did. One, one scale to a huge scale. We will do this. We will take advantage of those who cannot defend themselves to either save our face, our pride, essentially boils down to because of our selfishness. We'll do this. And to me, the great deception here and I say deceiving others and yourself, we deceive ourselves about the results of our sin. First of all, one way we can do it is to try to redefine it. Say, well, it's not wrong. What we're doing is not wrong. Another way we'll do it is to say, well, it's wrong, but then we'll minimize the effects. Say, well, yeah, this is wrong, but it's not going to be that big a deal. And the deception here is that initially... Things were good for the brothers. They got rid of the problem, didn't they? This little kid, this, this spoiled brat who's always given us trouble, he's gone. And now it's just us 11 chums. And we'll say, you know, we'll say something about the father and he'll get over it eventually. But he didn't. They didn't anticipate on the guilt that was going to ride their consciences all these years. They didn't anticipate that their father was going to mourn every single day the rest of his life or until we see an event in the future. You can't anticipate what sin will do. And this is obviously by design. The devil didn't want you to know. 
He's going to make it look good and desirable and sweet just like he did in the garden. He's never going to let you know what, that there's a hook in that bait that you bite. I find it interesting that Jacob, the father, it said in, back in verse 11 that he kept jo Joseph's dreams in mind. Remember, Jacob had had dreams too. We get the phrase, stairway to heaven, from Jacob. He had a dream about a stairway that went to heaven, the angels ascending and descending on it. Jacob knew very well that God spoke to his children in dreams. And I take it that when it says that Jacob kept in his mind these dreams, that he understood this was a revelation from God. And yet how quickly was Jacob ready to abandon what he knew to be true because of this evidence that was brought to him, this bloody garment. And the same is true of you and me, how quickly we are to abandon what God has clearly revealed in His Word because the circumstances in the natural are so compelling. This particular decision that I have to make, for example, in my life, this looks like the best decision. And with all my reasoning, with all my rationale, this looks like the best decision, even though God's Word contradicts it. And Jacob was more willing to believe these faithless sons, he knew they were faithless, these faithless sons falling for a deception he himself had put on his own father, more willing to believe this bloody garment than he was a revelation from God. Are we not the same way when the Bible tells us something? Are we not more willing to say, well, Lord, surely this is an exception. Surely the situation in my life, you don't really want me to do what the Bible says. That brings us to the next point. Expect your vision to be tested. For Joseph, it was a dream. God revealed his word. For us, it's the Bible. God's revealed his word. Do you believe it? We'll see. Because it's going to be tested. The phrase that the brothers used, then let us see what will become of his dreams. That's what you and I deal with. That's what Joseph had to deal with. Did he really believe what God told him? Let's see. How about a trip to Egypt? Do you really believe in the dreams? So much can happen in a day. One day Joseph was loving his father's blessings, and the next day he was naked and strapped to a cart as a slave, going to Egypt among people who didn't even speak his language. How lonely do you think Joseph was? He'd never been more lonely in his life than on the way down to Egypt. So confused. He wasn't even able to talk to the strangers. He didn't even speak his language. In fact, in fact, the last familiar thing Joseph remembered is his own brothers laughing and betraying him and selling him. That's the last familiar thing he remembered. Everything else is new now and he can talk with no one but God. What do you think he was saying to God on that trip down to Egypt? What have you said to God when you read something in the Bible and all of a sudden you find yourself cast into a pit? Did I read something wrong here, Lord? Did I miss it? Joseph says, you told me I'm going to rule over my brothers. Now my brothers, the very ones I'm supposed to rule over, sell me as a slave. God, did I miss something? What gives? I'll tell you what gives. But it better not be our faith that gives. It's going to be tested. How many of you would bungee jump if the cord had never been tested? How many of you would bungee jump at all? 
I know I wouldn't if the cord had not been tested. That's like our faith. Is it a practical faith? Is it good for anything other than when you die? Let's see. Let's test it. Expect that your vision will be tested. Do you believe what the Bible says? We're going to test it. And God's going to bring to you a series of bloody garments in your life that are going to test to see if you believe the natural or if you believe what God has written in the Bible, which you have seen and you know time and time again have shown itself to be true. Jacob, the father, believed the natural. We're going to see Joseph, on the other hand, held on tight to his dream. He clung to the word of God. But even in your test, know that you will be tested, but even in your test, remember, God hasn't abandoned us. Even in our deepest pain and confusion. The very last verse to me is so encouraging in this chapter. It says, Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of, of the bodyguard. Joseph was not to be a field hand. He was sold to the captain, mind you, of the bodyguard of the king of Egypt. To me, that's encouraging. Especially when we see, in hindsight, where it's going to take this. And you and I can take encouragement from this as well. Because as the story progresses, we're going to see that far from preventing Joseph's dreams, God actually used the evil that the brothers did in progressing and causing Joseph's dreams to go forward. And you and I can take encouragement from this. And that we may be persecuted, we may be laughed at, we may go through hard times that we don't understand in spite of the fact that we're faithful. But we know that God will use even the hard times and if we are faithful, we will be able to stand on the other side of our pain. We'll go through the pain and we'll be able to stand at the other side of the pain, look back on it, seeing how God worked through it in a way that you couldn't have understood at the time. And we'll be able to praise God for what he's done. I can stand up and tell you many times that's happened in my life. I'm sure many times, many of you can stand up and do the same thing. The time you don't understand it. Joseph didn't understand it. Reuben didn't understand it. Jacob didn't understand it. But there's going to come a time in our story where they're going to all look back and understand what the pain was for. And in your life, I promise you, if you will hold on tight to the Bible and do what the Bible says, don't do what the natural says, do what the Bible says, you will look back and praise God for the pain that He brought you through. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we can all identify with Joseph. We can all identify with Jacob and with Reuben and the confusion that they undoubtedly all felt and the pain that we know that they all felt. And yet you, Lord, are strong enough to let us squirm and wonder at your justice, to shake our fist at you and call you unfair. You love us enough to let us hurt that you may bring about through that pain a greater good, a good that one day we will look back standing, holding your hand and praising you for it. But Lord, in the meantime, you know that we are but dust. You know we are fragile. You know we can break. I pray that you would give us encouragement through this series, through the story of Joseph, that even in our pain and confusion, you have not abandoned us. That you love us and you are allowing even the hard things 
that we may be molded into the image of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, today for an opportunity to glance beyond the natural. Encourage us to hold fast to your word, to hold on tight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.